The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Friday, April 7th, 2017. From Slate, it's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. In 2013, Donald Trump tweeted, The president must get congressional approval before attacking Syria. Big mistake if he doesn't. He also tweeted, Again, to our very foolish leader, do not attack Syria. If you do, many very bad things will happen, and from that fight, the U.S. gets nothing. Back then, these tweets were from the star of a reality TV show who had as much input over Syria as Dog the Bounty Hunter had over the normalization of trade relations with Burma. But even a week ago, his U.N. ambassador and secretary of state announced a seemingly new American policy regarding Bashar al-Assad that the Syrian president gets to stay. And spokesman Sean Spicer confirmed, indeed, that this was the new, in his words, reality. Can you clear up where the president stands on whether Bashar Assad is the legitimate president of Syria? Well, I I think with respect to Assad, I mean, there is a political reality um, that that we have to accept um, in terms of where we are right now. Um, We lost a lot of opportunity the last... Uh, the last administration with respect to Assad. And I think that our restatement that both UN Ambassador Haley gave yesterday um, and uh, Secretary of State Tillerson uh, reflects the reality that it is now at the, the, the Syrian people. Spicer, same press conference, went on to disavow military action against Assad. I think we, we believe there's a need to de-escalate violence and to have a political process through which Syrians will decide uh, their own political future. Then everything changed because Assad killed fewer than 100 people via chemical weapons. This despite the fact that he has killed probably over 200,000 people via conventional weapons. And even his last chemical attack, the one Trump urged Obama not to do anything about, killed, according to the U.S. government, 1,429 people. But you know what? All of our NATO allies applauded the airstrikes. Every member of the Senate except Rand Paul seems to be on board. Every Republican never-Trumper that I know of says Trump got it right. And it is easy to hang Trump's past hypocrisy around his neck. It's easy and satisfying because Trump, on most issues, has said nothing, something, and then it's opposite. But just because he's inconsistent doesn't mean Trump was right then and wrong now. The large consensus is that Trump was correct to authorize last night's strikes. My problem is, I doubt he will be right tomorrow. I bet the lesson he takes away is, decisive show of strength, good. Therefore, more missiles equals more good. I don't even know that he's thought of tomorrow. I doubt that he's puzzled out what a massive conventional weapon strike will mean for American intervention. And what will the next action be if Assad doesn't back down? Here's an interesting one. What happens if survivors of the attacks, including the families of one of those babies, those beautiful babies, those little babies, What if one of those families decide they want to find refuge in America? What's that do to Trump's standing policy? It's a peculiar type of compassion that extends to tomahawk missiles aimed at your aggressor, but a keep out sign for his victims. On the show today, a short spiel about where Donald Trump is now and where he goes from here. Also where he went. But first, for more on the serious strike, it is Slate's Fred Kaplan.
Joining me now is Fred Kaplan. He is the author of Dark Territory, The Secret History of Cyber War, now out in paperback. But he knows a lot about the real wars, the hard wars, the Tomahawk missile wars. He writes the war stories column for Slate. Hello, Fred. Hello, Mike. So aside from perhaps Rand Paul, nearly uh, every politician, NATO and European allies have said that this attack was a, a proper and proportionate response. You report, and it has been reported, that it was apparently one of the lighter options on the table. Do we believe that or is that spin yeah, to just I mean, demon- I've, yeah. I've talked with people who were in on the decision making on the attack that Obama was planning mm-hmm. and that, that he almost did, you know. It's a very similar kind of attack, in other words, at similar targets. The attack, let's go over this. The attack, according to the Pentagon, it was on one base, uh, on aircraft, aircraft shelters, petroleum depots, weapons depots, you know, that kind of thing, standard stuff. Well, the Obama plan was going to do that on all of their air bases and their command control systems. Now, this plan was dialed back because at a lot of these bases now, there are Russians. And even at this base, there were some Russians who had to be told ahead of time, hey, we're about to attack, so get out. Which, by the way, might also have spurred Syrians to get their airplanes out of there, too. We don't mm-hmm. know that. But yeah, this the idea of having a military attack that is a, even a symbolic attack is that you want it to result in a change of behavior. And there's nothing in this scale of attack that would alter the behavior of someone determined to keep doing roughly what he's been doing before. But from what I know about James Mattis, the Secretary of Defense, I'm sure that among the questions he raised were, what do you do after this and what do you do after that? He's very big on asking these kinds of questions to the point where it annoyed some of the people in the Obama administration. Yeah. He was commander of Central Command. But I think it's pretty clear that uh, Trump doesn't know what he wants to do. What are the next big issues for Trump to consider? And the second part is, what of those issues are specific to Trump and what would be uh, the right issues for any president to consider? You know, In the last quarter century, ever since the, the, the first Gulf War, there's been all this fuss made when when a president launches a bunch of cruise missiles or airstrikes mm-hmm. and people say what a decisive gesture this sends a message to bad guys everywhere but somehow they don't they don't get the message you know very few bad guys have disappeared just after a missile strike or changed their behavior and and while you know, it is true. It's hard to say, well, we should have just let this guy, Assad, get away with what he did. What do you need if you are going to launch some cruise missile strikes or whatever? You need to have a plan of what you do next, not only in anticipation of reactions that might come from Assad or his allies or others, but also what leverage you plan to to take from this. Okay, he's in a position now. Trump has shown that he is willing to use force on these things. Okay, what is he going to do about it? Where is he going to take this? How does this fit into U.S. policy towards Syria? How does it fit into how he views where this war, or really in Syria, these wars are going? 
uh, how he wants to influence them? Or, or is this just it? Secretary of State Rex Tillerson said today that, no, no, this attack won't really have any effect, uh, make any change in our strategy. Well, you know, what, what's it for? Is it just whacking some kid across the head for for doing something bad? And, and, and you know, we'll, here's the thing. Sending signals with force, it, it, it's kind of a dangerous thing because you're not all speaking the same language. Trump might think, well, I've really shown that I can use force. I've put these guys on notice. Uh, and, you know, it, it, it's not insignificant that he did this while while the president of China was, was, was dining with him. I mean, he, he's obviously meaning to send a signal to him about what he might be willing to do about North Korea, too. On the other hand, Assad might be thinking, well, you know, the big bad imperialist just threw 60 cruise missiles at me. Here I am. I'm still here. My army's still operating. My air force is still operating. The Russians have told me that they're going to repair all the damage. Lickety split. Is that the message? And, and you know, President Xi of, of China, is he looking around and saying, wow, this guy's an impressive guy who will use force? <laughs> or is he saying, this looks like another case of America as a paper tiger to me. Okay, but let's talk about Assad. On the show yesterday, or two days ago, I talked to Josh Keating, and I wondered why he would do this. And the theory was that he was flexing his muscles. The United States had sent a signal, Rex Tillerson, saying that we're no longer in the getting Assad out of power business. And so he said, good, this shows how tough and strong I am. So maybe if all he does is not use chemical weapons again, you know, what does he have to lose? What does he have to fear? I think that's right. I think another thing that Assad might have been fearing, and this is purely speculative, but, but several people are thinking along these lines, is that it looked like the U.S. and Russia were about to come to an agreement. It may very well be that Tillerson's comment, which was also seconded by the U.N. ambassador's comment, that, mm -hmm. yeah, we're not really going after Assad anymore, that may have been a signal to, to Russia saying, okay, look, you can have Assad, we don't care. You can have your Syrian ally, but let's, let's do some kind of deal. Assad, who, you know, has stayed in power for a long time by being paranoid of, of all those around him, might have thought, oh, Jesus, the U.S. and Russia are about to make some kind of deal, and my days might be numbered. Let me provoke something so that my allies will come to my rescue, which, which if anything, this attack, I think, has cemented uh, the Russian-Assad relationship more than it's disrupted it, even though it is certainly the case, and this has been true for a couple of years now, that, that the Russians are getting a little impatient with this guy. They like predictability. They like stability. They don't want an ally who keeps stirring things up. But if he's going to get attacked by the United States, then Russia has to show that, hey, we are a good, solid ally and we'll come to your rescue. Right. That's Russia's brand. And it stands in contrast to, as they would say, what America was doing with yeah. its allies in the right. last... America, Mubarak was under pressure. They let him go. Mm -hmm. But not us. Right. So Russia, Russia knows how to at least project strength as far as that goes. Now, their official statements, Russia did what you would expect Russia to do, decry this, deny that it was even chemical weapons, all those propaganda things. But might they be doing this even if secretly uh, they were surprised by the Assad chemical weapon attack? They were distraught by the Assad chemical weapon attack? How much does your reporting or knowledge indicate what the Russians really think of all this? 
Well, I can't pretend to know what the Russians really think, but yeah, they would have denied it in any event. I mean, they, they, they say it's it's chemical weapons, yeah, but they say no, no, Syria never had any of those. Yeah, because look, they are culpable. This attack was, so we understand, launched from a base where there were Russian personnel. They can't pretend to be completely ignorant of this. That puts them in the position of having broken or been complicit in breaking an agreement that was made in the wake of the crisis that, that Obama faced, where the Syrians agreed in exchange for not there not being a U.S. attack, that they would abide by the longstanding international treaties on against the use of chemical weapons. And they violated that. And what's Russia going to do about it? Well, they deny that it ever happened. And they denounce the United States for... Uh, an aggressive action in violation of international law. And they sit around and they wait to see whether anything happens as a result. And I, I don't think anything will. During the campaign, Trump, well, Trump said a lot of things and he urged uh, Obama not to go into Syria and he made statements essentially saying that we've gotten too crazy over the fact that Assad used gas. This is what he said during the campaign. Is the stuff he said in 2013 relevant? I mean, situations have changed. Well, look, things that presidents say have meaning. People here and abroad study these statements, maybe more than they deserve to be studied, but they study them. And here you have a situation where actually Trump until two days ago has been quite consistent. You know, agree with him or not, he's been consistent. His view has been, what has Assad ever done to us? Right. Our big opponent is ISIS. By weakening Assad, we might be strengthening ISIS. So what are we doing? And there was a certain logic to what he said. Now, all of a sudden, he sees this, you know, genuinely horrifying footage on television. The, the Syrians have launched this chemical attack on innocent people. And this, this one strike, you know, okay, 80 people getting killed while killing hundreds of thousands of other people through other means has no effect whatsoever. This changes his mind completely about Assad in Syria. He'd been denouncing Obama for drawing a red line and then doing nothing about it. Trump says he's drawing many, many lines beyond the red line. And then he, then he does something about it, but not a whole lot. I mean, this is really, if you wanted to punish someone for doing something like this and you wanted to do it through military action, Quite honestly, this falls on the minor side of what you could do about it. And it's not related to any other strategy or action or follow-up or anything. It's just a lot of smoke and fire. Right. So what does this mean? What, what, what is this? And then he, he, he comes out with a statement which invokes God and justice, and we need to fight against terror and linking Syria to this. So if, if I'm a, a foreign intelligence analyst, you know, an intelligence analyst for a foreign government, and I'm looking at the panoply of statements over time by him and others, and I'm supposed to write a report saying, what is U.S. policy on Syria right now? I have no idea. So if all of this is about sending signals, he's got to start getting very clearer about what ultimate signal he's sending, what he wants to accomplish in Syria. Is he now going to get involved in this civil war 
what is the point of last night? Right. What, what is it all about? And I don't even know, To as you quoted Tillerson, our strategy or our policy about Assad hasn't changed. Which one? The one up yeah. until Thursday when you said, when you changed things and said it's not our policy to get him out? I don't know what the policy is. Yeah, I don't know if Trump said, knows yeah, what the policy no, is. No, nobody does. In fact, I would go further. I would say that Trump doesn't know. Yeah. I think if if I was the foreign intelligence agent or, you know, a member of the administration or whoever that guy is outside your window leaning on the horn, if I was any of these guys, this is all I would be able to conclude. Trump is a guy who is very impressed by and given to the grand gesture, even if that is just unmoored to the underlying circumstance, how he conducts himself and on reality shows, he'll do the big signing the fake check. And then we find out there was uh, very little substance to it. The same thing with like all his jobs programs. He'll have a big ceremony and it turns out, you know, maybe he saved a couple dozen jobs, maybe even not. Mm -hmm. So it seems here that what we've learned is don't attack your own people in a way that captures the world's attention through photography that could change his gut instinct. I mean, so therefore, I would conclude that, yeah, don't, you know, get him upset. Don't make him feel sympathetic by a, say, chemical attack. But what this leads me to say is, you know, what would the North, how does this constrain anything the North Koreans or especially the Chinese would do? I don't think the Chinese were going to do a chemical attack in the Straits of Taiwan. Or maybe do, and then just sit it out. Yeah. Maybe, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens in the next week. But maybe they draw the conclusion, okay, yeah, if you do something like this and Trump gets all excited and, and blustery, don't worry about it. Sit it out. He'll, he'll get over it. That may be the lesson. Mm-hmm. In which case, you know, it's a fine way to run, run the world, right? Uh, the last thing is this. It's the issue that Trump always raised. How does this help us in the fight against ISIS? Quite honestly, I mean, I think his initial perception, his initial view had something to it. Anything you do that weakens the uh, Assad regime without doing anything to bolster uh, the, the transition to a uh, some kind of political settlement or a change of power, you know, ipso facto strengthens ISIS. ISIS is the dominant anti-Assad force in Syria. If you weaken Assad, you strengthen them. I think unless it's accompanied by by other things that also diminish the strength of of, of ISIS or or advance the the case or the uh, procedures toward a political transition, and neither of those two things is going on right now. Fred Kaplan writes the War Stories column for Slate. His book, now out in paperback, is Dark Territory, The Secret History of Cyber War, which is really relevant also. Probably be big news tomorrow. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, Fred. Thank you. And now the spiel. Donald Trump is meeting at Mar-a-Lago with Chinese President Xi. This is a tense, complex, vital relationship between the two most powerful men in the world. As such, and in keeping with how the U.S. deals with China, Donald Trump has decided to outsource. It turns out he has an in-house expert who up until last week was in high-level talks with the Chinese. Of course, Jared Kushner's talks weren't with the Chinese government. There were his family's real estate company being in talks with a Chinese conglomerate. Well, that deal's been tabled for now, at least. Kushner and his wife, Ivanka, though official government employees, do stand to make scads of money 
if their friends and family members who are now running the companies that they once ran will somehow profit from the deals they make. So when it comes to being tasked with being the point man on China, Donald Trump made the tough call. He went to Jared. Oh, and Jared did go to a Jewish day school and wore a yarmulke for much of his life, so why not give him Israel too? He could probably solve Israel over a three-day weekend. The guy is a real estate scion. They are the smartest people. That's why he went to Jared. He went to To Jared. Jared. Oh, of course he did. Of course he did. Don't worry. We're not going to play any more of the commercials anymore. You know, not since the delivery or DiGiorno thing has a tagline ever rested more on a phrase that no one has ever actually said in real life. But Jared has also repeatedly been exhibiting sway in the sidelining of Steve Bannon. After being ousted from the National Security Council, Bannon reportedly threatened to quit, but not to shave or stop dressing in layers. This was Trump asserting himself. He did not like the portrayals of Bannon as the power behind the throne. So what this tells me is that the media needs to keep up the mockery. Like, there was an open question. Will the mockery make him resolute? Will the mockery be brushed off by the notoriously thin-skinned Donald Trump? Or will the mockery get to him and make him change policy, maybe turn him away from bad policy choices? And that seems to be what's been going on. Mockery has been shown to be an effective tool It can sway policy. So we got to keep Trump in doubt about his own potency. And then he'll be weakened. You got that, Fareed Zakaria, this morning on CNN? I think uh, Donald Trump became president of the United States. No, 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 Fareed. What is wrong with you? I get it. You want consequences for Bashar al-Assad. I get that. Most mainstream Democrats are applauding the airstrikes. Hell, Hillary Clinton called for airstrikes on airstrips hours before Trump ordered that exact thing. But even if the conventional wisdom is airstrikes good, you've got to think that airstrikes at the hand of Donald Trump, bad. Now he feels sanctified in missile fire. Listen, I will say this, no matter what Fareed Zakaria says, and I was watching him all last night before this morning, and he was being really rational. Then he wakes up today and turns into Van Jones or something. He became president of the United States in that moment, period. No matter what Fareed Zakaria says, I think Donald Trump will do something as a rebuttal. I think, I predict, history is a guide, he'll screw this one up too. You know, like on inauguration day when he literally became president. He hurt himself with an American carnage speech and baseless assertions about the size of his crowd. Then, a couple months later, gives a speech to the joint houses of Congress. You became a president today. Yeah, and then Jeff Sessions, Russia thing, that blows up. And four days later, Trump tweets about the baseless claims of being wiretapped. So every 38 or 39 days of his presidency, Trump becomes president, and then he unbecomes president, usually within 48 hours. This time it could last till the middle of next week. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. And then, in a little less than a month and a half, he will do something to become president again and enjoy another ever-so-brief honeymoon before reminding people he has been the president the whole time. And that is the problem. That's it for today's show. If you want to, you can vote for the Webbies. I only mention this out of pure self-interest as The Gist has been nominated for Best Talk Show, Best Writing, and Best Host. I hear we're not in last place in one of those categories, so we're charging hard. Now, when it comes to Webby voting, Chris Berube, who produces The Gist, he went for Axelrod. Mary Wilson also produces The Gist, 
she went for Roman Mars. Steve Lichtai, executive producer of Slate Podcasts, leaning in a hosa. Andy Bowers, chief content officer of the Panoply Network, enjoys my writing. Still, he went with Tracy in Heaven. The gist, reminding you, if you see something, say something. Not about a package. That's another one of the podcasts doing better than me and Webby voting. Oomperu, depperu, duperu, and thanks for listening.